Season 1, episode 10. Let's go, 10 baby, to the end. The finale. Welcome to the Shafe Bros Podcast. I'm Nate Shafe, and sitting with me, like always, is the bro Shafe, Joe Shafe. Bala bala, what up, y'all? We're always coming at you every other Sunday. And so this is this uh, episode, specifically episode 10, is the finale of season one, okay? We're going to put a little bow on it after 10 episodes in 2018 uh, and head into 2019 looking for season two. Wow, man, this is crazy how it just started. We are we're at 10 episodes. We just tried to do one episode and thought if we could just get through a couple, that'd be great. Now we're at 10. We're like making it happen. We're double digits, man. We're doing it, dude. We're like teenager now. So this is yeah, we're almost, yeah, we're preteen. We're almost a teenager. Oh, almost there. So we got all the emotions and insecurities coming up. So it's going to be good. So we're actually recording this on January 1st, 2019. Happy New Year to everybody. Yep, if you guys are all tired and probably still in bed trying to shake off the party times, definitely do not relate because I got to bed at 9 o'clock and I feel great. <laughs> Sucks for you. But uh, so originally we were trying to record this uh, episode uh, at the end of 2018. But, but I someone got, got sick. I did get sick. Um, so uh, we're recording it on January 1st, 2019. So, uh, But 2018 went by real fast. Um, and... Uh, I did want to point us to kind of the topic, the overall theme for this episode was back on Friday, December 28th, the former president, Barack Obama, made a Facebook post of his year-end list. I'm going to link it in the episode description um, for you guys to check out. Um, but he's kind of been doing this every every year since he became president. It's pretty cool. Um, it kind of he writes out like his favorite books, his favorite movies, and his favorite music from uh, that previous year. And so he had a lot of great stuff, and it definitely impressed me like how many books because he had like these are the books that I read, and then these are also other books that I would like honorable mention. So it's like it's amazing how many books that dude reads in one year. It's great to see a president who like reads and enjoys reading, and it's like. <laughs> It's like back this in the day. Just watch Fox News. That's it, you know. <laughs> I'd rather have alternative facts, but um, no, I, I like how he does that because I think it makes it more. It teaches kids to read because they're like, you know, everybody thought Barack Obama was a great, you know, cool president, relatable. But then they're like, oh, he reads books. He's not like on the Audible or he's not yeah. wanting to look at his iPad and stuff. He's more like, oh, I actually get a book, a physical book, and I read it. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I like that as a person who enjoys reading physical copies. I, I'm trying to get used to Audible. It's a little tough, but it's always good when you think someone of that high stature is like. Oh yeah, I know it's so good to read books. I think mm-hmm. that's a great, it's a good look. Yeah, definitely. I'm more. I'm a Kindle guy. I, I made the 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 move to eBooks. Sold out, everybody. He's sold out. Dude, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to live in the cloud. Just everything's in the cloud. Yeah, that's why you get lost and run over by planes. That's always fun. <laughs> so, uh, in that vein of what uh, president, former President Barack Obama did with the kind of his year end list, we put a call out to our listeners, asking them to submit their one big anything, the big uh, from 2018 that they experienced, that they watched, that they listened to, that they read, that they went to. Uh, anything that they could recommend to check out for others. So we kind of have a, a myriad of people uh, leaving us voice messages, but then also some people wrote in. Some people um, wrote more than one thing. <laughs> yeah, they suggested uh, a, a, a plethora of things. So uh, we're going to check them out. And then at the end, we'll tie the episode up with Joe and I's uh, one thing from, from 2018 that we would recommend uh, for you guys to also check out. So uh, first, one big anything is from our last episode special guest, Katie Younger, our, our cousin, cousin Katie. 
All right, so she 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 left us a message uh, with her recommendation. So let's check it out. Hey, 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 fans of the pod. This is Cousin Katie calling in with my recommendation for the new year. I uh, just wanted to call in and actually talk about a, a movie on Netflix that I think everyone should be watching. It's called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Now, for any of you literary types out there, it's set up similar to the Canterbury Tales, but uh, it's set in the Wild West. And I think it's really, the scenes are really uh, compelling, the story is really engaging, and the acting's really superb, and there's a lot of high-profile people in this movie. So I think it's worth a watch. Uh, get yourself onto Netflix and check it out. All right, so that was Katie recommending uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers' uh, first kind of foyer into uh, Netflix and online streaming because they've always been like a movie release, you know, directors and everything. Only theater on their very Hollywood, big Hollywood. And they also vowed that they would never like direct a TV show. But what they did was they directed a movie that had like six vignettes and like small six episodes. short stories, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like it was. We've even turned the Coen Brothers corporate. Yeah, it wasn't like in an anthology series. It wasn't a TV show. It was just a movie that had like six small stories in it. Uh, so kind of interesting, you know, where they draw the line, or whatever. But uh, have you checked out the Ballad of Buster Shrugs yet? I, I'm probably going to inform a lot of people. I'm actually not really a Coen Brothers fan. What? I think they make great what? movies, but just not my style. I do like their not remake of, of True Grit. I love their remake of True Grit. I think it's awesome. I just think they're they not that they're oddballs, but they just have a, a unique perspective on film. But yeah, their style is just not mine. I did like No Country for Old Men. I was gonna say that's like their like most pop general population. Yeah. Like that's I love that movie. But I, I can't get into Raising Arizona. I can't get into uh, Barton Fink. I Barton Fink was super interesting. And Miller's like, Crossing. Just, I want to check know. that one out. But anyways, I, back to the point. Yeah, I yeah. think even if though I'm not a fan, I wouldn't mind giving it a shot because I do like the actors they have in it. Tim Blake Nelson has always been like a good character actor he's just the, that oddball guy like i remember him in holes remember the movie holes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he played like the the warden guy that tried to be nice to the kids but they would yeah. pick on him and so i always thought he was an interesting character and i finally thought it was cool they gave him like a starring role even though it's netflix i still thought it was really cool he got his first like big main, like he is he's the buster main. scruggs that's right he's the buster man so <laughs> i don't know it looks good i mean i'm not a fan but i'll definitely give it a shot for him yeah definitely i so um i watched like half of it so like the first three uh the first little vignette and story is like super funny and entertaining like what buster scruggs super cohen brothers uh very much so yeah and it's action and everything and then by halfway through it gets really really sad so we had to take a break i still need to finish that it. sounds like cohen brothers <laughs> it got like depressingly sad so we had to turn it off to kind of take a little like uh i felt break the same I know I felt the same way about uh, their movie, A Serious Man. I tried watching it thinking, oh, everyone says this is great. I started mm-hmm. watching it. I was like, this is depressing, dude. I can't root for this guy. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely a, a very entertaining and fun and just a different uh, look at kind of the Old West yeah. um, through the eyes of the Coen brothers. I mean, they do have Liam Neeson and uh, James Franco in it, which is really cool. And then also... The James Franco one is pretty interesting. The Liam Neeson one is the very sad one. Like, it's oh, just very it. sad. And so really? that's why you have to take a break But afterwards. then they also have uh, Tom Waits. He's a great... I remember him from a lot of Jim Jarmuschik, uh old independent films. So I yeah. always liked him. So that's kind of cool he's in there too. No, I definitely. Uh, so that was Katie's... Uh, 2018 one big anything was checking out the ballad of buster scruggs on netflix everybody has netflix so you have no excuse not to check it out uh and so let's uh go to our next uh voicemail 
um, from the man uh, Max Tachis. Tachis? Tachis? Maximus Tachimus? I don't know. Man of many names. What's up, Shafe Bros? Excited to be part of your 2018 roundup. As a wrestling fan, the thing that stood out to me most about this year were the steps that the women's division has taken in the wrestling industry. In the WWE alone, we have seen an all-women's pay-per-view event. We have seen two different women's wrestling tournaments take place on their streaming service, and we've seen huge main events from the women's division that drew a ton of interest. I myself was in attendance at a pay-per-view in San Jose where the main event of the entire pay-per-view was a triple threat women's tables, ladders, and chairs match, which for those of you who don't know um, is is an absolutely incredible, incredible event. So that was huge for me this year, and I think it's great to see the women in this industry finally getting their due. Man. Dude, this is a subject I'm looking forward to talk about right here. <laughs> this is it. The lady's is, about to stand is, up. This is Joe's, like, uh, or both of our, we got super into WWF back in the day, but yeah. now it's WWE. It's um, more sports entertainment, not really pro wrestling, but still, it's fun, dude. Right. I actually one hundred percent agree with him. Like, I think I don't watch. I'm I'm not I'm not as much into wrestling now because now that I have a daughter, I kind of don't want her to look. Not that it's wrong that the women are bad. It's just it was always about you know like how good they looked and all this stuff rather than about like actual hey, can you get on the mat and actually you know wrestle and entertain. But I think Make it's it great happen, now. Yeah, yeah. But now that it's funny, I've watched the match he was talking about, the triple threat TLC match. It was really good. Like, that was the first time, and this year was the first time in a while that I was like, man, these women matches are actually a lot better than the guy matches. They've just invested a lot more time and effort. They and have. Energy. And then, like, it's also, too, this is the year that there's this one wrestler girl. Her name's Becky Lynch. She mm-hmm. is the man, dude. Like, she, like, the, she came out of nowhere. She's kind of like uh, CM Punk when he came mm-hmm. became a star out of nowhere. It's kind of like her. They didn't think she was going to be the big star. They thought it was going to be Charlotte Flair, Ric Flair's daughter. Mm-hmm. But really, she's kind of come out of nowhere and, like, Everywhere she goes, she gets more cheers than the guys. Oh, wow. Like, I highly recommend I saw that TLC match, and I was like, this is probably one of the best ones. But I actually think the best women's match to go with Max, actually, was the Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair's last woman's standing match. Oh, wow. That was insane. That was brutal. It was on that women's uh, all-women's pay-per-view WWE evolution. Yeah. It was, man, I was like, so I was actually, I almost wanted to tell my wife, I was like, you know, actually, I wouldn't mind if my daughter was like, I like wrestling. And I'm like, you know, the women aren't that bad now these days. They well, actually power are. You through a table. There you go. Li- <laughs> and now that they have Ronda Rousey in there, like I think mm-hmm. that's obviously cool because it's got MMA influence, so it's it's crossing over. And she's obviously been on Sports Illustrated. So I mean, I I think I totally agree with them one hundred percent. They put a lot of effort into not only their development developmental territory NXT, mm-hmm. but it's definitely on the women's division. Yeah, and it's probably too because I know a lot of that stuff is built around the storylines and them like working the storylines, working the rivalries, working the battles. You know, that kind of build up to these kind of bigger events that that add to the emotional payoff, right? Of like a great match because of all the work done beforehand, and not you know in front of the cameras, but then also behind the scenes in regards to probably like discussing kind of the arguments and like how things will go out to like really build the tension so that when the match takes place. It's like must-see TV, right? Well, it's no surprise, too, that the head of the WWE talent right now is Stephanie McMahon. So it makes sense oh, that really? the woman's overseeing the developmental of the storylines and everything. It's no surprise that now the women's division is actually becoming legitimate. So you think she's she's adding so much more to the women's division uh, as a, the, the flagship leader? Well, I think more behind the scenes, I think she has more of an appeal. Like, these women aren't just there for beauties. They're also there to, like, actually, they can get on the mat and go for it. Mm -hmm. And I think with Ronda Rousey crossing over, it's like it it brings more of a diverse group in saying, hey, you know, not only are the women, you know, 
unequal men, they can actually show up and do a lot better. There's actually, I would actually say that the WWE women's evolution pay-per-view, that all women's pay-per-view was a lot. I haven't, I can't think of another pay-per-view with the men on it besides WrestleMania that was better than that. Like wow. I actually thought the women's evolution, I was like, wow, you know, if they had more of these stuff once a year, I, I mean, I, I totally am behind it. I'm like the, the women's division is definitely on the up and up. All right. Thanks, Max, for your recommendation about the uh, women's division and the, the breakout uh, stars and, and, and status. I don't want my kid going through a table or jumping off a ladder, <laughs> but, you know, it's definitely uh, it's definitely good to see that, though. Awesome. Well, let's head to our next voice uh, mail for our one big anything uh, from our friend Remy Sabomahi. I'm going to go ahead and say it. 2018 was a good year to be black for one reason and one reason alone. Wakanda, baby. Black Panther, first black superhero, made us proud to be of African descent. And as somebody who's a a son of an African immigrant, it was probably the first time in America that I felt uh, so powerful being black. Not like a struggle. It It wasn't like, oh, we overcame. It was like serious um, excellence and almost black elitism to an extent. So that that just felt good, man. I was I cried in that movie, and it wasn't even really a cry worthy type film, but it just was so like I just felt so good and so proud. So easily 2018, the best thing I saw, Black Panther. Much love to Ryan Coogler, you know, and the whole Black Panther team for putting that out. Um, that was a big moment to be black in America. Dude, I 100% agree with him. I mean, I'm speaking as a Caucasian man. I am 100% <laughs> agree with him. I thought Black Panther was probably the best Marvel movie. I thought Infinity Wars, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Infinity Wars was terrible. But out of the year, I actually thought Black Panther was more of the big event to see than it was Infinity Wars. Because yeah. even though Infinity Wars was 10 years building towards that story, I felt like it was almost like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, a surprise. It's like the happy, not the happy accident, but the happy surprise in the sense of, I felt like Black Panther was more of the event. People around me were like, I got to go see Black Panther. I've got to yeah, go see totally. Black Panther. No one was saying, oh man, I got to see Infinity Wars. I have to see Infinity well, Wars. kind of were saying that. True, but, I, but the more people... But, were, I, but I think what you're, what you're getting at is that Black Panther was more of a industry shifting thing uh, versus like, oh, we're going to keep, you know, 10 years and we'll build up to this like big, you know, billion dollar blockbuster type thing, whatever. It's like, no, we're going to create a superhero movie where all the characters are uh, African or African and the actors are African-American or, or, or British African or whatever, only, you know. The only Caucasian movie was the Martin Freeman character. I think yeah, he was like the, only guy the token, he was the token white guy, right? And so like, but it was something that really just shifted the industry and showed, um, showed Hollywood that uh, America in, and the world is starving for diversity in these big blockbuster movies. 100%. And it's also, too, I think changing the stereotype of what an African-American is supposed to be in the films. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's supposed to be always supposed to be a certain type of character. He's supposed to just have a, uh, a stereotype. It's more mm-hmm. of, oh, they can play any role and they're mm-hmm. great. You know, I think I first thing is I was obviously a comic book fan. I grew up a lot while reading Spider-Man, but I always remember Black Panther and I thought, you know, when I heard they were going to develop it, I thought the perfect for the third person I thought that direct that movie, I was like, they got to get the guy who did Creed, Ryan Cliff. He did this, man. I Literally. think he would do awesome. And so all of a sudden, a prediction came true. And then when I found out they got Michael B. Jordan, I was like, oh, it's over. Like, this is going to be great. Like, no, definitely. Yeah. It was definitely a, a seminal moment. Um, and so thank you, Remy, for recommending. If you haven't, if you. If you've been living under a rock, if, you, if you've been listening, living under a rock, go watch Black Panther. Go buy it. It's worth stop, the purchase. Stop listening to this podcast right now and go on Netflix and watch Black Panther. 
Um, our next, uh, this kind of easily segues into our next uh, one big anything. It's from our friend Roger Luna. He also, he gave us a list. He wrote in and so he took the he opportunity went a little too above and beyond. to write a number of recommendations. I think he went for two, uh, 2018 ideas for 2018. Yeah. So he, he also recommended Black Panther. He said Black Panther, one of the best. He said the Black Panther album was fire. Two fire emojis, double fire. Wow, that's double fire. That's over the top. Uh, he also reminded us that uh, Stan Lee actually passed away, who created a number of these characters. R.I.P. Man to Stan Lee. A number of these characters that we are every year, right, paying money to go see developed on the big stage that and the big screen is that he developed all these people back in the '60s and the '70s and these char- these iconic characters that we've come to love as yeah. a general population. I think it's it's crazy too that a guy that so back in time i'm trying to think 50s and 60s they were still making like you know dramas and old school black and white it's funny at that time for him to have that imagination of like Mm -hmm. man there could be superheroes there's a guy that could swing from the walls you know there's a character that's green and he's really strong and mad all the time or there's this african prince that's like this like amazing person that's better than everybody and stuff like that like i think it's crazy that he he was so forward thinking at that time yeah and it's so if you actually get a chance to look like you can search on google and like find videos or articles like if you look and you research how he created all these different characters it's so interesting like his thought process and like him and his part and his partners at marvel and and can we we do like a quick example can i throw one at you a character at you and see how he went so like say for spider-man like what was his thought with that so spider-man he was in a room and like he saw a fly on the wall and his first thought was like wouldn't it be cool if there was a superhero that could crawl on walls and that's like where it all started and he kept developing he's like fly guy like no like fly man no like it wasn't gonna work he's like okay i'm gonna switch a beetle whatever you know couldn't figure it out and then like spider-man just kind of stuck he didn't go with spider boy he went with spider-man and no 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 and so it's just amazing like as they they developed so many characters that have you know stood the test of time um and it's kind of crazy that him and and I, i'm totally spacing steve get dicko i'm i'm i mix up all the different like original creators like the batman guys and the superman guys like uh, i want to say jack kirby um was with stan lee but uh, that these two guys like developed all these characters that have really uh, become such uh, iconic in, in American culture. Um, as well, uh, Roger also wrote about Black Klansmen. Uh, he said it was a deep movie and the first movie in a while where everyone walked out of the theater in silence. I heard this is like uh, Stanley's coming back. Like Everyone said, oh, he used to do great movies back in the day with Do the Right Thing and Mo Betta Blues. Everyone's like, no, he's back. And you Spike Lee, you said Stanley. <laughs> Oh, I did? I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Stan Lee is still awesome, but I mean Spike Lee. Yeah, Spike Lee for back. sure. Yeah, with um, Denzel Washington's son, right? Kind of having a big breakout moment. It's almost like he was like, I used Denzel for all these great films. I should just use his yeah. son for my next film. He said, uh, Roger also recommended Christopher Robin. Uh, I know it's a kid's movie, but in a sense, uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, I just watched that yesterday with, uh, with my the friend. Pill? Yeah, it's actually a really awesome movie and super uh, with Obi Wan Kenobi in there. Yeah, with Ewan McGregor and Haley Atwell, um, and you know, kind of, it's definitely takes you back. You know, as a kid when you get into Winnie the Pooh at, at different points and stuff like that. So was it based off of as an original idea, or was it based off of a story like that was written or anything like that? I'm, I'm, actually, I think it was actually based off a book. Uh, but it's great. You should definitely check out Christopher Robin. Uh, Roger also, Roger, man, sending in so many different things. So after ten, after ten years, we finally get get to Infinity Wars, and it was totally worth the wait. Great I would movie. agree. After ten years, you kind of and I think the the uh, speaking of brother directors, um, the Russo brothers, the Russo brothers, uh, really are coming together to be in like the flagship people 
uh, for Marvel movies, uh, they've kind of replaced Josh Whedon as like the 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 guys to direct the the whole way through. You know, hopefully they don't they don't um direct, Hopefully they don't take Ryan Coogler's job for Black Panther. I, I don't think, think so. He's do he's one of a kind. Um, uh, Roger also said, "Great year for our diversity. We got the black, black uh, we got a black Black Panther, uh, Black Spider Man uh, with Into the Spider Verse. So how's that movie, dude? I'm a Spider Man uh, fan. Would you Miles recommend Morales. it?" Miles Morales, who is uh, African and African American and Puerto Rican uh, of descent, Spider-Man? Wow. and so uh, it's it's a great movie. I would say it's right really? up there, one and two, with Homecoming as like the best Spider-Man movies. Really, um, even though it's a cartoon, everybody should check it out. Um, and it's and both were wait. Uh, so you're saying it's better than Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? And yeah, Spider-Man I would I would agree. Um, wow. So it, check out Into the Spider Verse. You've heard it here first, people. Um, it totally just kind of flips everything on its head uh, with the whole all the Spider Man you know stuff that you are used to. Um, as well, Roger also recommends uh, Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. Um, <sighs> We've already he, been on that. And then last thing he brings up, which I think is a great point, and I didn't even know, uh, uh, but Kendrick Lamar's uh, "Damn" wins Pulitzer. Sur- Pulitzer Prize for music in 2018, making it the first, first hip hop non jazz or non uh, non classical music album to win it, which is amazing. Hip hop's coming up, I'm, man. I'm not like a big like I I respect Kendrick Lamar and I'll listen to his music, but I'm not one who actually actively follows dude. his his disc- discography and everything. But uh, I know that dude is like is once in a generation. He's got flows, man. He's definitely he's definitely old school. Your minds. I think he's he's very poetic in that sense. I think I'm not saying he's on the level of Tupac sh- yet, but I think he's definitely like, I think he's great for this generation. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm older than him because I grew up more listening to the, all the hip hop in the '90s. But like, he's definitely. I think he's one of the current guys, and I'm like, man, I'll listen to his stuff. I'll even mm-hmm. go to his concert. Like, I think he's one of those young guys that's still trying to keep the old school. Like, hey, it's all about rhymes rather than trying to make the yeah. you know the beats or you know, you know, mumble rapping and stuff like that. It's more of trying to put a message out yeah and i i can't remember where i heard this quote but i think uh but i would totally agree with it which is kendrick lamar is one of the only people that causes everyone to stop and listen when he puts something out um to stop and pay attention um and so you kind of have that uh that one of the best you know rappers hip-hop artists in the game um when you got guys like ice cube saying the only people he listens to nowadays is kendrick lamar that's 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 rare uh, that's rare air right there I think because he puts so much, uh, so much work, so much effort, so much care, and uh, into what he constructs uh, with his music. Um, but let's uh, swing over to uh, Elizabeth Shafe, the Shafe sister. Yo, what up, little sis? Uh, and see what her one big anything is. So one of the best things that I read this past year in 2018 was the book The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And one of my friends uh, recommended it to me as I was trying to get on reading more. And I listened to it on Audible and it was really great. Uh, It was a really good story and good message. And the end was probably one of the best endings in a book I've read in a while. I got chills while reading it. Um... So yeah, I would definitely recommend people to read that book because I read it this past year. Awesome. So The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um, I know that was recently turned into a movie. movie, One of the great movies. Yeah, I had a colleague of mine who actually went to go see it. She's like, I loved it. Great story. I'm not familiar with it at all. I'm glad Elizabeth recommended it. It's a Um, story about a young African-American girl who witnesses one of her shootings by the police of one of her best friends. mm -hmm. Uh, Police, you know, shoot one of her best friends and she becomes into activism and helps build a a rallying cry for, you know, her community to stand up for justice and everything. And I think that's really cool because I think it inspires... um, 
children, not even just children, people of African American, but I think all children young, that they can make an impact and start speaking up against things that they see wrong, whether it's in the you know the government or in the police force or anything like that. Like it's truly like. I think it's something I definitely, when my child gets older, when my daughter gets older, I would want her to read a book like that or to believe that she can do anything she wants, you know, that anything's possible, that it doesn't matter your age, you know. It's all about, you know, if, you're actually, if, you, if you can play, if you can be a pro and act like a pro and play like a pro, people will listen to you, you know, and I think that's hmm. the point. No matter the age. That's right. I guess wow. Aaliyah said it best, age ain't nothing but a number, so. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thanks for the recommendation, Elizabeth. Make sure you guys check out The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas if you haven't yet. Uh, I would hold if you. I would hold off on re- watching the movie uh, read and the book read first. the book first. Uh, I think Liz has made a great point of like wanting to read more books, and whether you got to do it by actually physically reading the book, Audible, the ebook, or listening to Audible, uh, I think it's a great recommendation. And even uh, as we said at the top of the show, Barack Obama, right, avid reader, uh, and just really kind of that was on his list, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, um, and so it just encourages everybody to read. Uh, so let's go to our next uh, one big anything uh, from our man Mike Query. Here you go, 2018 highlight. Going with a product recommendation. It is called Meter. It's a Bluetooth meat thermometer. Stick that bad boy in a thick cut of meat. You know, ribeye, steak, some kind of roast, something like that. Throw that bad boy in the oven or the grill and uh, use the app to check its temperature. You can monitor the internal temperature of the meat, the atmospheric temperature of your grill or your oven. You set a goal temperature, plug in medium, medium well, whatever you want. Watch it, uh, watch the temperature rise and take it off right at the perfect time. So uh, that was my highlight. Make it yours too. Brought to you by the Food Network. All right, so meter a Bluetooth well, meat. Is this, a, is this our first product recommendation? This is our first product recommendation, and I think our only See, product the Shave recommendation. Bros podcast, we go where other people won't go. Uh, so meter, if you're interested in sponsoring the Shave Bros, uh, you have your first ad right here. You heard it from us, guys. We're all about products. We'll take any sponsorship. <laughs> so Mike recommends meter a Bluetooth meat thermometer. Are you like uh, grilling? Uh, kind of guy joe if i had a grill i would be a griller but yeah, I, I have don't, an oven I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I have a janky have a oven gr- that i use but no i actually i looked it up it actually looks really cool like i think um you know when i get a grill one day i might use it um i might even use it now but i think um i'm of the old school i'm always old school so i always just go by the eye tests and the taste tests you know mm-hmm. but i think it's great obviously technology you know make it safer but as well too it gives you an accurate reading but you never know. Sometimes I feel like with barbecue or cooking anything, you got to go old school and just use the eye and taste test. I was going to say, the thing that was always taught to us was like the color. You know, like you cut it, it open, look at the color. You know, the you color right will there. tell you like what it, what's up. Meat doesn't lie. Yeah. <laughs> it can't lie. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't but tell I will lies. I will sponsor this for Mike because he does listen to our show. But. Yeah. And my, I, know, I know we know Mike personally. He super got into grilling. Um, I think he's trying think to get a slow cooker year. as well, too. Um, and so I think he went all in on the grill. Yeah. Um, and so check out Meter if you want a Bluetooth meat thermometer. And uh, Meter, shouts to the uh, Shape Bros podcast. That's we right. Will, we will do ads for you. Because um, we, always, we always keep it hot up in here. That's we why we need a thermometer. Yeah, I'm not a griller myself, though uh, I do cook, uh, I do bake a mean salmon. Ooh, uh, that's my specialty. Bake. There you go. Is uh, seafood, specifically just salmon, uh, nothing else. So uh, let's also go swing over to uh, my friend Will Eliezer, uh, who has his one big anything, uh, which is actually a sports moment from this past year. Let's hear it. Nate and Joe, it's your boy. 
Willie, longtime friend of the pod, longer time friend of the Shafe brothers. Uh, shout out to Joe Shafe's dent in front of the TV as he used to watch wrestling. Uh, best 2018 moment in sports had to be Jimmy Butler returning to the Timberwolves uh, after a holdout, not coming to practice, not reporting. Comes his first practice back, gets in an argument with the coach, Thibodeau, gets in an argument with the GM, takes the second stringers and beats the first stringers in a scrimmage. And yet nobody wants to talk about this. No one talks about it, even though it might rival Iverson for best sports practice moment. So can you tell me, does is this a better sports practice moment than Iverson? Is that a soft move or boss move by Jimmy Butler? And why did this just get swept under the rug? He even sat down after practice with ESPN and confirmed all the stories that came out of that one practice. So let me know what... What's that? Right hands down, I definitely think it's a boss move. However, very I boss th- move. Definitely, but I don't think it's better than Iverson because Iverson was more of a quoting tirade. Yeah. He wasn't going and We're on. talking about the the practice. We're talking about practice. That's right. Like that's that's, that's quotable lines. Like I did watch the episode of Jimmy Butler and I did love how he said when they asked him, Was this all true? He's like, This is all true. Like he wasn't <laughs> hesitant. He didn't go off saying, I will yeah, confirm. There's got problems. He just like matter of factly was like, Yes, this is all true. Yeah. But I, I think you can't compare him to apples and oranges. I think they're both great. Um, I think it just shows the dog in Jimmy Butler because he's just a guy that's like, you know, if you're not working he's like he's like, you know, the assassin type guy. He's like the MJ, the Kobe. He's just he's like kinda, if you're not he's working got the little bit of mentality. If you're not on my level, I'm gonna tie I'm gonna go off on you until yeah. you get to my level. Well, I remember when Jimmy Butler uh, this was a great moment moment i would say this is up there as one of the best nba practice moments of all time really uh with and i don't think it gave it got as much uh coverage over time it got a lot of coverage in that moment but over time uh, right because you know alan iverson's practice has become like a quotable line right and then the other big practice moment i thought of was when kobe bryant um, was yelling and cursing out the whole team and the GM and the coach. Oh, that's pretty um, classic. When it was back when like Jeremy Lin was on the on the Lakers and he was cursing at Mitch, Mitch Kupchak saying, "These guys ain't gonna cut it, Mitch. He ain't gonna cut it." <laughs> you know, uh, that was classic. a great NBA practice moment. Uh, was this before he won the last two titles, or was this, this is after? after this okay. is like you know, oh, towards the twilight. This is, of Kobe's this is the career. twilight of Kobe, but he still has the Mamba in him. Um, so, but with this Jimmy Butler, I remember when he came out of Marquette. Um, and he was first year on the Bulls. I remember I was watching a game. And this was like when D Rose was D Rose. D Rose, uh huh. And like he was coming off the bench, I think at the time he was coming off the bench, or he was like just a like barely rotation, barely player. a three and D, you know, um, swing player, two guard, or whatever. And I was like watching him. I was like Jimmy Butler is gonna be somebody. Like you just see him playing, you're like that dude. Like you as a rookie, ball, yeah. Second year, I was like this dude's gonna be somebody. Ballers can tell when another ballers out. There. He's just like. He was just had that fire in him, uh, and I'm, that's like been his staple his whole time in the league. Is because I think he came out of Marquette as like a junior, and then he like, wasn't even he was like I mean, he was drafted, but it wasn't like, like everyone barely, thought he was second be, rounder I think or something like that. Like no one thought he was going to be great. No one thought he was going to do anything, but like he just outworked everybody, and that's his thing. Like he'll just grind and grind and grind and outwork everybody. Yeah, his story when I heard his story, and then when he got to the Bulls and how he rose up from just not even making it to finally being a starter, I was like, "This is like." And MJ. he eventually became the Bulls team that he like. He was the Bulls. Yeah, and he was uh, their star player after Jimmy Rose went down. I relate to MJ because MJ was like, when I first came in, even though he was a high draft pick, he was like, I thought I was the lowest guy on the totem pole and had to work 
my hardest. And I was like, Jimmy Butler literally had to do that. He was the lowest guy on the team. Went from being starter to rotating in to then finally starting. And then when D Rose went down and they kind of broke the Bulls down, it became his team basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Butler. Like, even though maybe people don't like the way he went about it and how he did things. Which I, maybe there is a quote unquote politically correct way to go about saying this stuff. I yeah. don't know. As a basketball player, I'm just like, if that guy was yelling at me, I'd be like, I hate it, but I gotta respect the guy because I am yeah. not working hard. But it was a great moment for like sports content and like <laughs> him yelling. And as, I think the words that he was saying was, "You can't win without me." Like that was what he kept yelling at Andrew Wiggins, who and who was yelling was at Cat, that, yeah, um, and yelling at the organization. He was yelling at the GM, saying, "You freaking need me, dog." <laughs> But then also uh, other notes that came out of that that moment was that um, Tom Thibodeau went up to his office and was like laughing hysterically because he that's the stuff he loves. He loves it when people are at each other's throats and grinding and fighting and stuff like that. Yeah. And then also the other thing is that Andrew Wiggins, who was, I think, probably the person that, you know, um, uh, Jimmy Butler had the most like just for tension with because Andrew Wiggins is like supremely talented, but like doesn't work hard. And then, you know, Jimmy Butler does not think of himself as very talented, but he, so works, he works super hard. hard. Is that when Jimmy was leaving the practice facility, Andrew Wiggins, like Andrew Wiggins, uh, fist bumps him, like gives him props for like yelling at him, yelling at him. Like what? Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I was reading the article on uh, ESPN when they got released. It said many of the Minnesota players left practice energized by Butler's performance. <laughs> you know, mesmerized with him taking several end of the bench players and running the table in scrimmage games against the regulars league sources say, I think that's amazing. The fact that, uh, you know, I think that's inspiring. Yes, is it not the correct way, and yes, is it going to cause friction? But I think too as well, it it's like honesty. It just it puts everything out there, and it just kind of like the table. you can't lie, you can't beat around it. You just got to be like, yep, that's the truth. Definitely. So, uh, moving on to our next uh, one band. This is our last. Uh, uh, this is definitely going to go down in NBA lore for sure. Yeah, definitely. But uh, so swinging over to our next uh, and our last uh, one big anything was our friend Jeff Barnes uh, writing in saying, hey guys, uh, Big Jeff here. Uh, the best NFL game this year, yet maybe uh, yet maybe ever, was the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and LA Rams with the with the turn tides uh, the tides turning consistently changing throughout the whole game. This literally was, and I'm gonna say it, ladies and gentlemen, you can quote me on this for the rest of my life until I see something different. This was the best Monday night football game. I have watched this in my like, lifetime. This is the game that you like came on the podcast and were like raving about. Oh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I was like, this is going on the podcast. Yeah. This is actually funny. So I didn't have ESPN on that night because we were checking our finds as I finally got my Sling TV back on and this game came on <laughs> and I just sat there and watched it for three hours. Yeah. I even had our uh, daughter Zoe. Well, she was supposed to go to bed and my wife was supposed to go to bed, but she was like, I'm going to stay up too and watch the rest of this game. Oh my and that was gosh. probably I don't remember my daughter being antsy or quiet or frustrated she was literally watching the game too like this is amazing like this is probably i wasn't around because i know a lot of people talk about the great game in 1986 a monday night football game between the jets and the dolphins and that was the longest football game recorded uh because i think it went three hours and went to overtime oh wow but i wasn't around at that time this is probably the one that i've seen with my eyes and can firmly say this is probably the best monday night game it had the great best monday night game of your lifetime in my lifetime this is probably the best monday night football game in my lifetime wow Better than the Jets and the Dolphins back in 2000 with the Monday Night Miracle when the Jets were down by 30-something points and they come back and win. Oh, gosh. This was like, it was just toe-to-toe. It was a shootout. Like I, and, it had, and it had a great story. You know, two young stars, Mahomes and Goff, you know, battling out these two young QBs. Everyone's like, these guys are going to take over the league. Yeah. Great defense. Well, I don't know if a great defense is, but definitely. Well, it was high scoring. It probably wasn't yeah, great defense. Yeah. 
they're known outside of that. They're known for being uh, somewhat adequately adequate good defenses and just <laughs> a lot of stars. It was an awesome for game. somewhat adequate defense and uh, some gunslinging. Yeah, this was the one that I was ta- like. First thing I did was actually text my boss and said I was like, I'm probably gonna be really tired tomorrow, but I watched one of the best games ever, and he texted me back saying, "This is that's the greatest game I've saw too." <laughs> Oh, man. Highly recommend it. If anybody ever gets a chance to go on YouTube, look up this game. Chiefs, Rams, Monday Night Football. We will not be disappointed. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff, for uh, writing in and recommending that game. Uh, Joe strongly agrees uh, with you. And so uh, those were our one big anything from our, our friends and our fans who wrote in and sent voice messages in. Uh, but to round out the episode, Joe, what is your one big anything from 2018? I have to say, uh, the one biggest thing for me is obviously my daughter Zoe being born in April. I think that was probably one of the coolest thing, and just taking on the the not just the role, but I think taking on the dad. I think I grew up so much watching you know TV shows and movies, and I just thought dads were super lame and mm-hmm. just not cool, and just didn't have the swagger or the you know. And I think now that I'm a dad, I'm like, you know what? Actually, that's not true. Like if you look at, I went back and watched that old. I used to watch Married with Children with Al Bundy, and just thought this dad's terrible. Now I'm like, no, he's super like. <laughs> Has no has no chill. Is not afraid to keep it honest. Yeah, and not afraid to put his kids in place. And I was like, you know what? That's an awesome dad. And then Modern Family with Phil Dunphy. I'm like, you know what? That's the cool dad right there. there you like go. I was like, I think being a dad. Is Once awesome. you became the dad, you root for the dad. Exactly. It's your eyes. Your eyes became open uh, to the power of the dad. Well, I think it also opened my eyes to how much like this little person relies on me. I'm like, wow, I'm actually important. Like this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Got to be your best, Phil Dunphy. Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, I would say my one big anything from 2018 is I read uh, an amazing book. I'm super, I get really into like sports books and specifically like sports history. Um, but I read this book called the captain class, the captain class by Sam Walker. Um, Sam Walker's like a wall street journal, uh, writer, uh, and there's kind of sports, uh, section or whatever, but it was such, I, I bought it in 2017 and then I kind of read most of it and finished it in 2018. Uh, But it was a great book. So he went through like thousands of teams uh, through all team sport. Um, So you're talking like rugby, field hockey, basketball, baseball, uh, football, Aussie football, Aussie rules football, uh, you know, and then world soccer um, and took the 10 best teams that like that were transcendently dominant, you know. Mm. So even on the level of the Michael Jordan Bulls didn't make the top tier. Really? Like that's how like, none of his trip three peat teams were on that level. No, because he had so many different like requirements to like make it, and so he and he had in the back of the book he shows how many uh, the thousands of teams that were like considered, you know, and kind of where they fell in the in along the along the way. Um, but like it talks about the uh, in the 1950s, this Hungarian uh, soccer team uh, dominated world soccer for like five years or six, seven years, whatever. And they came in and their breakout game was when they came to Great Britain and they were the small Hungarian team and they just roasted Britain. Really? Uh, the English team, which was the most dominant team at that time in 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 world soccer history. They also talked about the, I think it was the 1990s uh, Cuban women's volleyball team, which like scorched the world championships, the the Olympics and like decimated. They'd like never lost and stuff like that. Like he's like very like, uh, unique teams. Uh, Bill Russell's uh, Boston Celtics made I'm it. I'm not surprised that guy. And so uh, even I can't remember if Tim uh, Tim Duncan's Spurs made it um, to the top tier, but they had all what, these like really great. They have anything for American football? 
Um, I'm totally forgetting, uh, it, but it's just very uh, amazing. And the thing that kind of was the common thread um, through all these like transcendent teams was that they had a captain that was not an excellent like athlete, but was somebody who would grind and work and hold everybody themselves accountable to the highest of standards. Sounds like a Jimmy Butler. <laughs> but and then would hold everybody else to the very high standards. Um, cause oftentimes you think, okay, like transcendent teams have like a transcendent athlete and yes, those teams did, but it was the captain who was like somebody who like barely made the squad and then like rose up and became the most respected player on that team. Mm. And that most of us don't even know their names. Those people were, was the driving engine of what made the most dominant sports teams of team sports of all time. Uh, it also had like the New Zealand all blacks. Um, the rugby team, mm-hmm. uh, which is like historically one of the most dominant rugby teams of all time. Wow. Um, and kind of had its different periods of like supreme dominance. Um, and like one of their captains, was, like just a, you know, small white dude, or whatever, but mm-hmm. that like, would get the snot beat out of him, but still like play and had some gruesome stories. Um, but I got turned on to this by listening to a podcast about it. But it's a great book about leadership. Um, like and that. if you love sports history, you should check it out. It's just, it opened up your eyes to a lot of different and things. And if you're a new dad, you should check it out too. To be yeah, happy. definitely. So check out The Captain Class by Sam Walker. I, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, and then make sure you read books. Uh, big, I recommend it. Big shout out to book reading. Uh, but Thanks, anyways. Barack. Appreciate it. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys for listening. This is the Shape Bros Podcast. Make sure to leave a five-star rating. Five stars. Count of five, 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 five. And then feel free to write us a review. Uh, and make sure to subscribe to the feed, and we'll keep uh, that will keep you updated on the latest podcast by the Shape Bros. And I want to thank you guys for listening. And again, this is the final episode of uh, season one, uh, episode ten. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a break, and then we'll be back with season two. And kind of, we're looking forward to what we're going to uh, launch and kind of do in 2019. It's going to be bigger, larger, and possibly bigger, better, faster, better, something like that. All right, cool. Peace out. Adios. Adios.